Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Body I.O. with your host, Kiefer. Uh, this is, I was going to break this up into three 40-minute, 45-minute segments, uh, but I, de- I decided just to leave it all intact. I know a lot of people are stuck inside anyway, uh, so I just left it in long form. Hopefully, you're able to have time to listen to the whole thing. Uh, I speak with Beth in this podcast and so of course most of it's very female focused but there's a lot of great information and whether you're male or female if you listen to some of the recommendations for the opposite sex then it helps you to understand how your own body works Uh, because knowing the differences allows you to then utilize what's best for you and your body so and it allows you to help those around you of course most people a lot of people are in relationships or live in a household with multiple people so if they have members of their household who are interested and who are of a different sex than they are it gives you some context of how things should be changed how you can arrange things so that you can be on roughly the same eating schedules and, you know, I just think it's valuable information across the board. And we, in, in here, we talk about everything from food to training to hormones, um, men, you know, different effects that happen during menopause. Uh, there's a lot of talk of injuries in here and recovery. And also, what happens when you start to get to the low levels of body fat for your body type and you know all of those things are really important so this is like two hours just free form i don't even know what else we talk about i know towards the end like these conversations usually do they go off the rails a little bit and it's not so much about health Uh, sometimes there's some personal questions or anecdotal stories that get told towards the end and uh, hopefully those are at least entertaining I, I don't know of what value they are, but hopefully they're entertaining. So uh, I'll just get right into it. All right. Hope everybody enjoys. Well, you've got quite the write-up. <laughs> yes, I tried to give you some background information. Yeah, well, you've got a lot of questions too. Uh, not, I we'll, we'll get through them all. Um, I know them are quite loaded, so. Yeah, I answer them all the, the best I I can. You know, some of them I'm I'm not going to be able to answer too quantitatively. Okay. Um, a, a lot of them I can. Some of them I won't be able to. Uh, but. Otherwise, we can just get started with wherever you want to get started. Okay. Any uh, rules of engagement? Uh, No, it's pretty much a free-for-all. You can ask me anything. That doesn't guarantee that I will answer anything. Uh, Of course. Um, But otherwise, yeah, you're good. First, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for all that you've done and for continuing to push on and help people help such a broad range of people. 
And you've really empowered me and given me freedom using car backloading to achieve whatever goal I want. If I want an aesthetic goal or a performance goal in the pool, been able to accomplish that um, with your work. And I'm just incredibly grateful. And gosh, the chance to talk to you, what an honor. Thank you so much for taking the personal time. Well, I very much appreciate it. it. It's just funny sitting on this side because part of me is, you know, I'm just a regular guy who has a ton of interest in this stuff. Um, so thank you. I'm very flattered. I appreciate it. And I'm overjoyed that my work has been such a game changer for you, essentially, it sounds like. You know, I'm, I'm really, really glad. It really has. I've been an athlete my whole life, um, always tried to eat as well as I knew. And unfortunately, that led me down some pretty bad paths because the information that's out there is so terrible. So I've made so many mistakes. And and I mean, not mistakes as I mean, obviously I've learned from everything, but it's been so nice to have some science and to have the opportunity to choose and, you know, to work the nutrition and go, wow, this is going to get me to my goal because this is you know, how the science works. And so, yeah, really empowering and freeing. And I'm, I'm really grateful. Well, all right. I, <laughs> I, I can only handle so many compliments. So, okay. okay. <laughs> so I, so I sent you some, some background. I've been carb load, backloading since May of 2015. And I was really fortunate to have a really good body IO coach. So we were able to get my macros pretty tight, pretty quickly. And so I've kind of had a cascade of events, um, pales in comparison to the year you've experienced, but I was sick with COVID, broke a toe, put a foot through the floor, pinched a nerve in my neck, had a bulge disc and some degeneration, plantar fasciitis, and essentially three months of back-to-back -back or duplicate things that took me pain and illness and took me out of work and limited my training. And I really was kind of lost at how to calculate macros because I'm so active. And so after, even though I kept changing my macros as I was not able to do things, um, I was trying to, I reached out on Telegram and said, hey, anybody know how to take a carb backload and turn it into a carb night? And so that's my first big loaded question. How can you take, if you've been a successful carb backloader who's active, how can you change your macros into a carb night with minimal activity? Well, unfortunately, well, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, not unfortunately, but unfortunately in this scenario, you're female. Yes. So it's a totally different set of rules. Okay. And they're not as flexible. So f from your workout, I mean, you're you're really active and you do a lot of sprint activity and resistance training. So you're doing a good job of mobilizing your glycogen stores, you know, and it, it looks like you have all that dialed in. Well, as soon as you stop working out, you you're, you've just lost access to cleaning out those glycogen stores. So there's not really an easy answer to how do you go from carb backloading to a, a carb night structure? Okay. And it, in the grand scheme of things, they're the same thing, right? Sure. You know, you're just, you're eating carbohydrates 
for appropriate glycogen filling and recycling and all that kind of stuff. So one thing is, and I won't talk about it, or or, or I can beep it out if you want uh, the hormones that you're sure. on. Yeah. Okay. I If you want me to beep that out, just let me know. No, I'm okay with it going out there. Okay. You're on progesterone. You had... Have your estrogen levels come down? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. So so that helps some. You have better access to your carbohydrates than normal. But what you're used to filling up with for your level of activity, I mean, you need to distribute that over a two-week period. As, okay. as best I can tell from the information you have, your your estrogen levels have come down. You're on progesterone. So that's putting you in a regime where you can access your glycogen stores. It's just okay. really slow. Yeah. Like super slow. And and that that makes and breaks any fat loss goal or aesthetic goal that you might have when you can't be as active as you were. And the results, that's kind of what I experienced. I kept, I think I recalculated my macros five or six times and I was had a neck injury and ended up having just really like three 20 minute periods during the day where I could hold my head up. And so I would make these minimal schedules and I really couldn't do anything. I'm like, I just, I just don't know how to eat without being active and my tendencies to undernourish. So I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't know how to make, you know, these macros work without, I guess, going, going too far South. Yeah. I, well, and that's the thing is like you you can't you can't make these macros the macros you sent me there sure. is no way in your situation to transform them from CBL to CNS okay you know e- easily it's not a you know it's not a one to one it's like oh well you know I'll just lump all the carbs I was having with CBL onto a carb night and that should take care of things that, that's yeah, just not going that to work was not the case and I thought you know would you do half would you do even a quarter and as I as I wasn't able to even do the minimal schedules that I had set out for myself, obviously I already had a lot of empathy for your situation, but you know, even, even more so it was like, wow, I, I realized I really don't know how to eat when I'm unable to be physical. Yeah. You're going to have longer periods without the carbs and it, it, well, and it's one of those things. It's this, really difficult goal balancing right sure because you've got you know you're you're juggling a bunch of different stuff and you're right now you're more focused with the aesthetics but you want to keep all your muscle mass you want to keep your strength so that that doesn't evaporate on you as well uh, and you know, going ketogenic or going ultra low carb for too long it is going to whittle away your muscle mass too. Like you, you'll get it back, and and you'll get your strength back relatively fast. But you're not going to look like you want to look like before you get back to the gym or back to your back to the ability to be able to train and stuff. Okay. My that, that probably did. That didn't sound super encouraging, did it? <laughs> well, it it does sound like so. You know, maybe a 
you know, carbs would be maybe only once every two or three weeks. And then I guess my macro question would be, I've had a, a, a protein level that's worked for me these last probably six years. Would mm -hmm. I would I want to keep that protein level to maintain my muscle and then just really draw that fat down? Uh, I have to go back and look at your uh, body weight. What's your body weight again? Well, 118. 118. And the workout videos that you sent me are recent? Yeah, all except the, the hip thrust was just yeah. actually but yeah, that was old. But the other ones were right, basically, as I the first day I got back in the gym, which is why I kind of have a, I didn't do a very good squat, but I had a funny look on my face because I just fired my doctor and I was showing my PT. She's like, you need to be active. And I was like, kind of happy that I finally, hey, I can do things. And these doctors are off and they want to do crazy, risky things. And I'm going to get my life back. Well, yeah. That, I mean, just a side note, doctors have absolutely no idea how to deal with a healthy individual and they have no idea how to get a person back to healthy. And, I, and it, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm not disparaging them. That's just not what they're trained for at all. And that's not how they're educated. So they, they can't do it. Yeah. And they tend to, for me, I've, I'm associated with a military base cause we're retired military and I'll get the new, new PA and yeah they they really don't have any expertise and they'll look at the outside of me and say oh well there's no way you have a hormone problem or there's no way you have you know need a CPAP or could have plantar fasciitis or you know whatever the assumption is based on you know how I look on the outside without doing lab work or yeah further assessments more than like a five minute time so yeah, well, I mean, compared to most people they see, I mean, instantly they're going to be like, oh, well, you're healthy. There's nothing I can do for you. Yeah. And, you know, that's the end of it. Because in comparison, even if your stuff is all out of whack and all over the place, you're still pretty damn healthy compared to most people they see. True. And my desire to have, you know, a high performance in health, not just, you know, surviving health. Yeah, is beyond what they do. Yeah, well, it's nonsensical to them. That, I mean, literally for a medical doctor, that should be nonsensical to them. Because they have no frame of reference for that. That's not what they're taught in medical school. It's like, oh, well, this person has this problem. This is what you do. This person has this problem. This is the drug you give them. Oh, this person has this problem. This is the surgery they need. And, you know, that's that's their that's their training. And in the, in the right situation, obviously, that's fine. But for people who aren't sick and falling apart, that's terrible. Yeah, and it's hard when you're when you're stuck in something and you can't get help. You're just really, to be honest, this your previous alpha call where um, the individual had some spine problems I was going through that neck thing and it really actually helped me to fire my doctors and say you know this is this all the things that you're suggesting these surgeries are not going to be for an active individual you know so yeah I, I want to thank him and thank you for thank him for sharing and then just like the foam roller stretch 
some of the things that are really simple and trying to, yeah, be active and get healthy and let the body, let your body take care of things if it can. Yeah. Yeah. You know, most, most surgeries are unnecessary whenever they involve joint or soft tissue that isn't already ripped apart. And sometimes even then it's inappropriate, like a torn labrum, you would never do anything to fix that. But if you don't understand what happens with the mechanics of a torn labrum, you might do like on that one call where they want to cut them open and they want to move some tendons over to release some pressure. It's like, oh my gosh, that's insane. (laughs) Yes. The answers I was getting were insane to do, you know, neck fusion surgery to even to inject my discs that are degenerated. And when you look at the research, like, well, 30% of the people get better. 30% stay the same. 30% get worse. Why would I do that to my neck? Yeah, that's left forever, (laughs) you know, if I can. Yeah, well, I can see just straight away from your, especially your bicep curl video that your the curvature in your neck is off. It looks like a straight line. It doesn't, you know, I know our curve and cervical curve supposed to match. I I don't have much of a lumbar one either, but boy, my cervical is just my x-rays are just a complete straight line. Yeah, no, I I could see that right away that your your neck curvature is incorrect. So. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and, and actually the way to fix that is that roller exercise essentially and if you can find a chiropractor who will do the manual adjustments. Yeah, I've got a I got a really good chiropractor and I was re-listened to actually that that alpha call yesterday so I could understand and I wanted to know is your head going straight back over the roller is that off the edge? Is it going straight uh, back is the left or the right? So the the foam roller is going is perpendicular to, to the body. Okay. Under you, and then so your head is falling over the foam roller. So it's not at either end; it's falling over the okay. middle of it. Yeah, I was definitely doing that wrong. <laughs> okay. okay, that makes more sense. And that yeah, makes sense the delt line that. I was like, huh, where would that be? That seemed like it was too far away. That makes a lot more sense. Yeah, you're actually right at about uh, where your posterior delts are, their insertion point, their lowest insertion point on the back, on the scapula. That's right about where it should go. Perfect. Yeah, and then you just lean your neck over and looking at, watching your video it's going to be painful when you do that because yeah you do not have the curvature so when you try to force that it's going to be really uncomfortable because my guess is if you've had an x-ray of your uh, cervical spine up in the neck my guess is you've got some bone spurs coming off the back the posterior side of each each column section correct did they show you that much detail yeah i didn't get um that was the suspicion but we didn't do an mri that was another long journey but as as you've said it's not so easy to get things in the states as it is in other places yeah Um, but it was obvious that you know, the disc, there was some degeneration in the discs and some arthritis, which I would expect from, you know, being active. But yeah, the curvature, 
have had some shoulder issues being a swimmer and um, just changing my posture and doing some of those simple exercises have have helped a lot. Yeah, well, you know, those the, if the spurs are there, I was asking because I can kind of give you an idea of the amount of pain you're going to be in as you try to fix it. Okay. And if if they're there, and I'm guessing from the look of your neck, it's been that way for a while, so you probably do have some spurs. The first few times you do it, it's going to feel excruciating. Okay. And listen to that. Like, don't try to to hang your head past that. You know, when you hit that point where the pain feels unbearable, then lift your head up some. And what you might need to do is have somebody help you. Okay. An assistant. Because yeah, because actually once you get into that position, if you go too far and you hit that critical pain point, then it actually becomes even more painful to try to flex your neck to bring your head back up. <laughs> yeah, that, that anything tipping my chin has been an excruciating process. Yeah, and with somebody there to help, they can kind of hold your head right at that point so you can still get some stretch without worrying about hurting yourself or pinching any nerves or anything like that. Perfect. Uh, so back to your protein question. Are, are you staying? So you're you're going to be, I assume, staying ultra low carb for several days. Because well, there's next, a couple different things you could do since you're sedentary, right? Well, well so are you sedentary? You sent me those well, videos where you're in the gym. Right. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I was right at that precipice when I started writing and then, yeah, I've been, I, I'm basically lifting six days a week and then I have a swim hit on Monday morning and Friday morning. Um, so I'm starting to get back to a pretty decent schedule, a couple, two a days, mm -hmm. um, icing and resting when I need to ice and rest and kind of adapting. I basically thought if I can only be up for 20 minutes, well, I'm going to be lifting for those 20 minutes or swimming for those 20 minutes rather than, you know, in a lawn chair in my living room. Yeah. I'm for where you are now, then uh, if you're working out again, close to those levels, your, your protein pretty much in line. I, if the overall volume of your activity is lower, then you might need to adjust everything. Yeah. Uh, so drop your protein a little bit, and however many grams you drop the protein, that's how much you drop the fat. So okay, it, 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 it's hard for me to assess because I, I don't know the volume differences in your training. You have sure. a better feel for that. Um, but if you're really, let's say it's half volume compared to what you used to do. Okay. Your protein is going to drop from you're, you're getting about 170 grams a day, according to what you sent yep. me. Yep. That's going to drop closer to 140. Okay. To 150. And then maybe that's a lot of fat to drop. So you can kind of play that by ear if you want. And, and again, it doesn't look like you have much body fat. The pic what do you I was trying to get I've I've had a few I had some DEXA scans and I've done a bod pod but they've been 
maybe two years ago, they were all within 18 months of each other. I'd probably been carb backloading for three years and they all kind of had me at around 15, like 14, five to 15, two, I think. I know there's not very accurate, but yeah, I, the hard part to assess, like I can tell that you're, you're not carrying much subcutaneous fat, subcutaneous, however you want to say it. Uh, both are correct. And and I'm just saving myself so nobody says I said it wrong. <laughs> uh, and, and I couldn't also see what's going on with your hips. So I don't know what the tissue distribution is there visually because okay. you, you were in your... Uh, your workout pants so I, yeah. could, I couldn't see that but from your upper body I mean your your upper body so I don't know about the legs and how those would change it and you you definitely lost some muscle mass but your upper body's gotta be somewhere around the nine percent ten percent mark I mean you're you're so just as an example in all the equations and stuff for body AI yeah like you're at that point where all my, the equations for women break down when you get under 9%. Oh, wow. Okay. And that's because all kinds of stuff get, goes just crazy out of whack in women when, when you get under that level. So your upper body is there. I don't know about your lower body. So depending on what's going on with your lower body, you might be north of 10%. But uh, there's no way at this moment, from what I can tell, there's no way you're over 12%. I mean, there's just no way. Okay. That's Unless, I mean, you're hiding a, a midget's worth of fat below the waist that I just couldn't see. No, I mean, I, I definitely, the fat I do carry is definitely hips and glutes and thighs. It's just not, yeah, it's. It's not, my lower body is not as defined as my upper body. I think my, you know, competitive swimmer for my whole life, I've had a lot of upper body muscle, um, but there's not, I'm not carrying a lot of fat really either. Yeah. My friend's yeah. smiling at me, laughing because, you know. I'm I, not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm simply saying the gentleman could tell <laughs> certain things about your mentation. That actually really helped. Um, another country. It really helped to have someone else to say that they sent you some videos and some pictures because it is hard to assess your own hard to assess your own body fat i'm a person who puts a swimsuit on in front of many people to help them every day <laughs> so um having that input helps and i kind of one of my questions i obviously asked you how would i what would how would i change my macros and my training and my timing the biggest loaded question to get leaner and to hang around leaner and the other half of that question would be is it even a reasonable goal as a 50 year old female well so in general it's a reasonable goal for you that's why i wanted to make that statement about the equations for body ai because for you that it i don't think that's a reasonable goal at this moment Oh, sure. Yeah. Coming, you mean coming back or? No. Well, no. As lean as you are right now, I don't think it's a reasonable goal for you 
to lose more body fat. Okay. Regardless of where your lean tissue goes. And, and honestly, if you do start to get leaner than you are now, the best you could do is hold your lean tissue. Okay. You're not going to grow and you will start to lose strength. I've definitely made, I mean, like I made the overly intermittent fasted mistake where, yeah, I got smaller, but definitely lost muscle. I've taken all the carbs out, re reduced the fat after carb backloading. So I've sent myself down some rabbit holes um, in an attempt to get leaner, making choices that are not based on science. So that was my question was how to, what would I change if I, yeah, wanted to stay at a leaner, at a leaner spot? Well, it's, you're so lean. You're in this situation where when you add muscle, you're going to have to add a little bit of fat. Sure. But you're going to stay at the same percent body fat. Okay. Does that make sense? I mean, I mean, at your leanness, it would be extremely, if not impossible to add significant lean mass naturally like you know you could get loaded up on male hormones and it'd be a piece of cake <laughs> yeah but but naturally as you increase your muscle mass you're going to have to increase the amount of fat on your body but your percent body fat is going to stay where it is so you won't visually notice a difference but if you went in and, say, did a DEXA scan and they tell you how many pounds of fat on you, you will have more fat. I mean, you, you're just going to have to to maintain that, that excess lean tissue. Okay. I mean, f fat tissue is a super active organ, and it has a lot of beneficial functions – you know, assuming you're not like obese and sick and whatever, so you you just can't get leaner and increase the muscle where you are uh, because it's just going to sabotage everything. And we could probably push you to some extremes, but then, like I said, that's where the hormones start to go out of whack, and it becomes a totally different ball game. And probably a ball game you don't want to play. Yeah, I definitely don't want to go down a bad path. I would like to keep my health. That's probably the most important thing. Yeah, and you're on your carbs. You're gonna. I mean, uh, unfortunately, you're gonna have to figure it out. And the easiest way to do that is you know, you can train. Right. Hello. You there? Yeah, so I say um, trial and error. Is that my? Uh, well, not 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 really. Uh, it's more prescriptive. You okay. know, there's it's not trial and error. So what you are gonna go to, go ahead and do on your ultra low carb days, since you're you're active again and you're training, the training volume is just not the same. You can have your ultra low carb days like you've had them with 20 to 30 grams of carbs total in those days and just train with that until okay. one of your training sessions you hit the wall 
like you'll know it. Everything will feel deplete. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I totally do. <laughs> yeah. And then that's that's the night you have carbs. Gotcha. And you can just keep keep doing it that way. And for your carbs, I would I would start with half of what you would normally do for a carb backload. Okay. And then see how long that lasts you. So you'll you'll go through another series of workouts. You're going to hit a wall again, and then that's going to tell you if you hit the wall really fast, like in a day or two, then you need then you can either start having higher frequency of carb nights or carb backloads, or you can have a larger amount of carbs, you know, t- twice a week or whatever. It it just depends on what's going to fit with your schedule and your mental mental properties because you know for me carb backloadings could totally mess with my the crispness of my thought so all that makes sense cool thank you yeah makes a lot of sense i appreciate that so if i can ask you a couple questions on kind of when i'm i guess just the normal um if you're doing carb backloads, is it okay to have your entire day of fats with your carb backload? My, I've done a lot of different, you know, done fruity pebbles and some things that have low fat. I tend to like, sounds like a lot of alphas like having some maybe pizza and a donut or so. Um, and for me, it's always just at 6 p.m. had two scoops of ice appear in my carb shock, then wait a half hour and then have my carbs and it's essentially just a dinner and a dessert i usually don't have you know i don't have a third spike don't really have enough carbs i think to make that happen Mm -hmm. um so if it's i think you had said to somebody else but i'm not sure just want to make sure it applies if you had one meal that you didn't have to worry so much about the fat is that true yes and i just want to clear up a couple things so if you're carb backloading you don't need multiple spikes of insulin. That's okay. not the goal when you're backloading. The The goal is getting those glycogen stores refilled. Okay, good. Now, if, yeah, when you're carb nighting for somebody who's doing carb night, and when I talk about these, I, you know, I'm just going to assume, so if somebody's really doing carb night strict, they're really concerned about losing body fat. Sure. And then we'll say car backloading people are people that are interested in performance. So for people on carb night, like the extended period of elevated insulin is really important. Okay. Yeah. So once you start car backloading, you know, you don't have to worry about that. And if you're only eating one meal, if you're eating most of your stuff in that one meal, eating the fat with the carbs is totally fine and i would actually recommend it recommend that structure because that's that's your best (laughs) yeah that's your best performance gains and your best health preservation slash gains as well perfect so for me since i'm doing i'm basically doing 60 grams of fat on my carb backload and for the day. And so because I, and, and about 192 carbs, 
So what I've been doing is this kind of weird. I didn't want to overly fast. So I have coffee with a teaspoon of cream in the morning. And then I end up having kind of a, my lunch is protein powder with some DHA. And then I just have my post-workout shakes. Am I, is this okay? I'm basically having, I don't want to spike my insulin, but I'm, I'm kind of living off protein powder and I guess very small amount of cream and DHA to get me to, to save those, that fat for the night. Well, I, I, let, let me ask, do you feel good doing that? It hasn't, it, yeah, I haven't felt anything, I guess, negative. Sometimes I don't feel like I need the lunch, kind of the lunch. Like if I have these, if I have two post-workouts, I guess I'll get to that and ask you about post-workout, but you know, I have, I just try to keep my protein from plummeting and the, the pizza has some protein and then I put some turkey pepperoni on it, has some protein, but I don't, I didn't want to be, you know, too low of protein for the day. Well, one, one way you can, if, if you don't like the lunch, so that's, I, it, it's one of those lots of explanation things okay <laughs> uh so I, i'm trying to think how to explain it without causing massive amounts of confusion for other people who listen to this <laughs> um, but i'm mostly focused on you so in your scenario i'm i'm answering this without thinking enough about your entire week structure with your diets. Okay. So I'm going to throw that out there. What you can do, especially if the lunch, you don't want it or you don't feel like you need it. The prior day, you can add whatever amount of, of protein that you had at lunch. You can add that amount then, and then you can add extra protein at your dinner time carbs. Or you could add them in the morning if you wanted. Yeah, so you you have a massive storage capacity for amino acids. You know, they don't all have to go into skeletal muscle tissue for, for growth. They can be stored. And so as long as that storage supply is enough to meet all of your synthesis demands the next day, then then you're fine. And and you have to double it. That's why whatever you had at lunch, you need to add it the previous night and you need to add it again at some point that day. Does that make sense? So you would, so my, my lunch is like 37 and a half grams of protein. So, so I would... That- yeah, so the day before you'd add 37 and a half grams of protein and then somewhere on the day when you're trying not to eat most of the day you'd add 37 and a half grams of protein. I guess at night with your carbonate. Okay. And then I tend to it's funny cuz the reason I had the lunch in there, quote unquote lunch with which is just isopure was to have a time to take my multivitamin to take, you know, have some food in to take a vitamin or to take my, you know, supplements or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you can have a little less protein maybe. Well, 
I, I don't know what your issue with that meal is. You, know, you could you could just not like doing it. I, maybe it's the protein shake. Like, I don't know. So I, I'm just saying that I'm worried about using so much protein power and spiking my insulin or doing something. I'm setting myself up for a bad scenario to add carbs. I guess that's really my only concern. Is it OK to have? Do I need to be adding some fat somewhere to take out my fat from my carb backload? You know, if is it okay to have protein powder a few times and basically having two post-workout shakes and then without without having worked out? No, no, with, with workouts. Oh, with the workout? Yes. Well, and then if I could change my post-workout shake. Could have more in it. Right now, it has like three quarters of a scoop of ISO, so it's eighteen point seven five protein. Yeah, it's fine. Okay. Yeah, it's fine. That, that's why I always have to be careful because you can like you can start to make it super convoluted. So if I'm missing a detail, it, it's most of the time much simpler for being like, oh well, for, just forget everything I said. It's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and well, and it very... sounds like that's where we are. Okay. And then I was it was kind of interesting. We were talking about I, I was wondering just how many carbs are needed to spike insulin. And I guess oh, it doesn't matter for much. carb backloading is what you just told me. Yeah, carb backloading, it, it doesn't matter so much. I mean, you don't even need any carbs at all. Um, you know, just eating a hamburger patty will will spike your insulin levels. Your post-workout shake is likely spiking your insulin levels. Like, it doesn't take any carbs Okay. is the thing. Do and that's what oh, – go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask if my about my timing, but go ahead about. Well, I was just going to say that's why the insulin. I mean, there's actually a thousand reasons that the insulin hypothesis has to be false, but that's one of them. Like you, you're right. there's almost nothing you can eat there. You won't get some sort of insulin spike. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So. And then what you were asking about your meal timing in which scenario? So like in the car backloading, yeah. so I've always just done, I've never had carbs earlier in the day. Some, I, I think somewhere along the line, I made the assumption, hey, I'm a female and I'm older. So I would, I always have basically have isopurine carb shock at 6 p.m. and then wait my half hour, which maybe now I don't need to do that and then have my pizza and donut is there anything you would change about that hmm let me think for a second so your pizza and donut you had your shake how long before that like half hour yeah so i have um i guess it's always been at the six o'clock was the time, right? Six o'clock to not put any carbs in earlier than six o'clock. So I was doing yeah. right at six. I just put my carb shock in my isopure. And then maybe I was confusing. Maybe I was switching. I had switched from carb night to carb backloading. Maybe I'm confusing the spikes because I was, I thought I had to wait 30 minutes before putting, you know, carbs in. Well, no. So, if your main goal, so you're working out and your eating timing 
could be used as the perfect time to get glycogen back into your muscles. Okay. And you've got a 30-minute window from the time your workout ends to get the carbs in if you want the majority to get stored as glycogen. But, caveat of that, is it takes away quite a bit of the carbs that you're going to be able to eat later. Okay. And that's because eating them later and taking them outside of that window, it's actually going to cause an excess amount of thermogenesis. So you can eat more of the carbs and they get burned off. So you get to eat more if you eat them immediately after the workout and then you try to add more later, you have to be more careful because you won't have as much burned off in thermogenesis. If that makes sense. So, so really you're saying it, it could be possible to, for a 50 year old female to add some carbs in their post-workout, but most likely I would have to take those out of my carb backload. Correct. Okay. That would be correct. And, and more. So let's say you add 20 gram, 20 or 30 grams of carbs to your post-workout shake immediately after you work out. Then you're going to want to take maybe like 10 to 25% more out of that later meal. Okay. So if you added 30 grams post-workout, you're going to want to take out like, uh, what, like almost 40 grams from your carb backload. Essentially a donut. <laughs> my donuts are 37 grams so probably, probably yeah so you'd have to ditch your okay. donut okay and the benefit of doing that would be mm, let me think because you well let me get your current goal right now clear which is to get some of your muscle size and strength back correct yeah i want to be yeah the lean strong machine well how do you how pedantic do you want to be because ideally you're putting the carbs in immediately post-workout it's slightly metabolically advantageous for your goal slightly okay, okay. i'm going to stress that again slightly <laughs> almost possibly even unnoticeable okay. but it's definitely some small amount of advantage and s small amounts accumulate over time sure so that's that's what you have to consider. That's the difference between the two. Okay. Well, I'm definitely on the, yeah, let's be pedantic. Let's learn new and, and fix things and try new things and try to achieve goals. That would, that's definitely the path I'd like to take. So it sounds like, would that be a, like a dextrose powder or maybe the ripe uh, banana? You could eat a ripe banana. Uh, dextrose powder is good. A any of those kind of carb powders. Now, so here comes the fun part. Okay. Right. The amount of carbs you add in your post-workout shake 
every day in that 30 minute window depends on the workout you did. Okay. So depending on the muscle split, like let's say you did legs, that's going to be a higher amount of carbs than on the the days, say you do arms and shoulders. I, I don't remember your exact split, so I'm just giving examples. Sure. And, and so that's always a moving target. And, the, and would that be, I guess, another question, I'm only carb backloading twice a week. Would it be on only those days or would it be, if I added, would I be adding carbs? I wouldn't be adding carbs to the other post-workout days. Well, if, if you want that minor effect, then yes, you would. But you'd have to keep track of all of that to take it out of whenever you do carb backload. Okay. You, there's no freebies. It would be a subtraction each time. That's what I figured. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it gets complicated because, you know, you may feel like you blew out your arms and your shoulders and they're exhausted, but shoulders actually don't store as much glycogen density wise than any other muscle in the body. So, you know, you have to take things in, like that into account. Biceps can't store the same density worth of glycogen as quadriceps and so on. So, so when you start getting into the minutia, which is where you, well, this, this isn't minutia, this is fine tuning. When you get into that level of fine tuning, you will have some trial and error. Okay. Makes sense. So speaking and of a work, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, and had not everything in my life gone to, well, I'll just be ribald about it. If everything in my life hadn't gone to shit all at once, <laughs> like that's, that's what the massive calculating engine behind body AI is. So, so, you know, you, you don't have to do the trial and error. Yes, for sure. Yeah. And yeah, we're definitely all very grateful and excited <laughs> about having the computer take care of the minutia for us. Yeah, well, at, at that point, it's fine-tuning. Like, you're in a situation, I wouldn't call it minutia, because you're already at this kind of, it, you're on the extremes. You know, you're you're way outside of two or three standard deviations of, of normal people for, for your goal. Yeah. So, for you, this is fine-tuning that is going to make a difference. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, whereas, happy. yeah, for, for somebody who's not as lean or whatever, then yeah, it's it's minutia. They're just never going to see the difference from it. Okay. So sticking on that post-workout shake, this we like may I'm have obsessed already, with the post-workout shakes. <laughs> we may have already, yeah, we probably have already hit this, but I'm assuming. So when I'm doing, like, I'm doing a swim hit first thing in the morning, fasted. I would assume I wouldn't do a post-workout shake afterward since it's well, early. <laughs> it depends. Um, so th that will take some trial and error. And even if body AI was running, that would take some, some trial and error because, well, no, actually for you, it, it would be a bit more methodology. Uh, methodology behind it because you're you're still taking progesterone is that correct i am you probably benefit from having 
a post-workout shake? Like how long is your hit session? I, I really have brought it down to the 30 minutes and I'm doing basically the, a variety of, you know, 30 seconds all out, four minutes recovery, a minute all out, three minutes recovery, which my swim events are 25 seconds or less than a minute or less. So it actually works out really well for my training to do what I want to do also. Yeah, you having a post-workout shake there, it's not a bad idea. And first thing in the morning, oh man, I mean, this is like revamping your entire schedule because then you'd have to take this into account. But it is a time, especially for you, that you could introduce a small amount of carbs every morning that you have your morning hit session in your post-workout shake. Okay. Now, yeah, in general, like you have to play with that a lot because as women go through their monthly cycle, the hormone levels change. So there's a week or two where they can't do the carbs and then there's a week or two where they can do the carbs. And the amount of carbs you can do actually has to level up and fall off with the waning, the with the ebb and flow of hormone levels too. So it becomes super complicated, but you've kind of leveled the playing field. Yeah, I wondered if, I mean, that was, I guess, one of my questions too, was what would change for someone who is in menopause? That's kind of a, probably another load there, but. Not really. You're, you're actually, well, what I'm telling you is what would change if you were in your early 30s, late 20s, early 30s it would be a much more difficult conversation. Yeah. But you're approaching menopause and you're taking the right hormone replacement progesterone. You never want to take estrogen and that just makes it way easier. Yay. Something positive about being older. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there, there are advantages to, to getting older depending on, what depending on how much you focus on on your health because you know there's no reason people should age like we expect them to yeah your information on skin and on um on gray hair that's just yeah that's fascinating and that's i guess that's why we pursue this we're 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 after health we're after performance we're after making this the best life we can make it well yeah there there's no reason like the way people age in the western world is not normal like it's just not normal and you can look at any other population that took much longer to get large amounts of carbohydrates into their diet and even in some of the eastern european countries because you know and it's a terrible example, but Ukraine, like they had a long period of time before they had ample amounts of, say, wheat and things like that in their diet. Because when the Soviet Union formed, they basically plundered all of Ukraine's crops and wow. sent it back to Russia. So th- they didn't have those things in their diet for a really long time until only recently. And you can see the difference in their population. Serbia, that's also true, except they're a little more advanced than Ukraine. 
and you know going to different parts of the world it's amazing to see it's like oh well this is how people should age uh, and it's totally different than what we just expect as normal in the western world yeah last year there was a there was a a project called the longevity project and it was a series of videos and it was traveling around the world and interviewing folks in japan and how do they live and they're you know hundreds of years old and they're still you know picking their food out of the garden and bringing it in and and you know communal eating and just really fascinating you know yeah well you got to take those with a grain of salt sure so so okinawa let's say it's it's a blue zone in the world for longevity and lack of disease well first of all they did a genetic out analysis in inuit people uh, several years ago and and this is what i was saying before these, these analysis were even going on i was like you cannot take populations that have had long periods of time to evolve in somewhat isolation and then compare them to european descendancy you can't sure. do it because like inuits they actually it turns out they have a special adaptation in their mitochondria that allows them to burn way more fatty acid at a higher rate than anybody else but on the flip side, when you give them carbs, they get fatter and sicker faster. And they just did a similar study because that was actually unexpected. That that finding was unexpected, which blows my mind because I'm like, well, anybody with half a brain would have expected that. <laughs> and so they've been doing this now in other isolated regions that have blue zones and in Japan they have a special genetic adaptation to be able to eat higher levels of carbs than anyone else in the world. Oh, wow. So if you go to Okinawa and you look at their diet or just Japan in general and say, oh, well, what do you eat to stay healthy, you know, whatever, and then you try to replicate that in Westerners, you're going to accelerate the Westerners' disease state they, and yeah. how fast they age, yeah, because they're not adapted for it. Which is probably why our, I guess, have you said it before, folks doing scientific research usually focus on such really a minutiae thing and then try to apply it to general health and it fails. Well, it's just nonsensical. They never take context into consideration. They're just like, oh, well, they're a human being, therefore. And, and then there's the worldview context of, well, animal products are bad for you. So if we find a community that eats a lot of carbs and they're healthy, that's more proof that humans should be eating more carbohydrates. And, <laughs> you, you know, it, it's not because it already fits with the general paradigm, right? So it's really easy to make those assumptions when, in fact, you're just being an idiot. <laughs> And hurting people instead of helping them. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I had lunch with Gary Tobbs, like you know, a long time ago when I was still in uh, the Bay Area because he lived in Berkeley and I lived, you know, on the cusp of Oakland and, well, I mean, it's all Oakland, but nobody ever calls Rock Ridge Oak Oakland <laughs> because they don't want to say they're from Oakland. Um, but we had lunch and I. 
I kind of gave him a, you know, I was trying to be nice about it, but I was really trying to hit home on his books about comparing to say the Pima Indians in the United States. Oh yeah. And he, yeah, he used them as a, like the perfect example of how carbohydrates and insulin makes people sick. And I said, I, you know, I think going in and making those comparisons is completely wrong. And here's why. And I told him about the Pima Indians. I'm like, if, if you're right, if it's the insulin, then that means, and you should know humans make like 10 different types of insulin. If you, you know, everybody, a lot of people make different types of insulin. There's little alleles and they change the structure a little bit. And each one binds a little more strongly or a little more weakly. It's like, so if you're correct, you should be able to go test the Pima Indians, see what insulin they have. And the ones who got super fat, super fast should have the strongest binding insulin. Hmm. And there should be a strong correlation. And he said, well, I, you know, I don't think that's the case. He said, (laughs) you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's just the presence of insulin. So I went and did the research and found that in fact, the Pima Indians had like eight, seven or eight, just in that, that population, they had seven or eight different insulins that were made in that community. Oh, wow. And when they looked at the people who were still healthy and lean and their diets were all roughly the same and the ones who were super overweight, it didn't correlate with the type of insulin or its binding strength at all. It was completely random. So that means there was something else at work. And so I had to dig even harder to find that. And it turns out the the defect is that the ones that are super fat, they actually have a defect in adrenaline receptors, essentially stimulant receptors, and they just don't bind. So they can get all those carbohydrates into fat cells. It gets turned into fat. But when their body releases cortisol and adrenaline and those things to get it out, it just won't come out. Wow. wow. So it has nothing to do with insulin. It totally destroys his entire hypothesis. And he used them as a prime example. and And it just fell apart right in that moment. You could be like, well, you know, I can just assume the rest of your book is faulty because and for what he's trying to do, which is what I'm trying to do, like change the world perspective, you can't make mistakes like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm on his side and I could say, well, all of your work is total dog shit. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but sorry, I, uh, that's a rant. I won't I won't count that time against you. <laughs> no, it's really it's fascinating. I guess that's. I like when you're, even when you're explaining to us, you know, what is science and what is research, just even those foundational things and then to apply it to health. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty big undertaking that you've, that you've taken on. And obviously we're all very thankful. Well, thanks. I appreciate the comment. I, that's one bright side of the quad tear. Like I was stuck in a situation where all I could do is read and ponder more deeply the questions I already had that I hadn't yet answered. So yeah. well, there's always that, a bright side. <laughs> yeah. You've done a really good job of keeping the bright side. Cause yeah, I've only had a couple months of the little downward spiral. I cannot even imagine. I, I do love when you say your brain is already going to 
oh, I'm just going to make a leg brace. I'll be able to, I'll be able to do stairs. Oh, I'm going to make a different leg brace so I can ride a bike. Yeah. I well, I, you know, that's the situation I'm in. I can't change it. So yeah. if, if I can't, there's this, have you ever seen the movie Silverado? Like 1986 Western? I, think, I may have. It was quite a long time ago. Yeah, but it, it is a great. I hate westerns, and but this is one of my favorite movies. And there's this character in it. I I can't remember her name. She's really short. She's a bartender, and the first time you see her, she's out on the floor. She's super short, and um, Kevin Kevin Klein's character. He just met her. His his character's name is Payton. He just met her. And she goes to walk behind the bar, and all of a sudden she gets taller, and she's walking along the back of the bar. And he leans over, and he looks behind the bar, and she's created a ramp that goes up so she'll be normal height when she's behind the bar. Nice. And and he said, oh, and that's almost exactly what he said. He's like, oh, nice. And she said, well, the world is what you make of it. If it doesn't fit, you make alterations. And I've always loved that line, even even before it really applied to my life that much. Like I always loved that line. I thought that was a, a great, great line. Yeah, I think as a as trainers and coaches are always trying to help people focus on their their sphere of influence. What are the things that you can control and try to let this other stuff go? And yeah, making I, I think the first time I became a trainer it was about workouts. Then twenty years later it's about adaptations. How can you help someone who has, you know, a knee replacement and a, and a hip problem and plantar fasciitis and they're overweight and they have a heart thing and you need to get them healthy. So I think there's a lot, I don't know, that's a lot of life lesson to, yeah, I guess the lemons into lemonade. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the joke, if, if the world gives you, you know, that if, if the world gives you lemons, you know, whatever, make lemonade, but I saw this. It was brilliant. It said, if the world gives you melons, you have dyslexia. <laughs> I was like, that's brilliant. And no offense to anybody that has dyslexia, but you you got to admit that's pretty funny. That is pretty awesome. <laughs> uh, so where were we on? Stella. The character's name is Stella. Oh, okay, Stella. I'm definitely yeah. going to have to give that a look. Oh, it's such a great movie. It's got young Kevin Costner in it, a young Danny Glover. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, Kevin Kevin Klein, And then, uh, I, oh, uh, Scott. His last name is, or Scott Glenn. Scott Glenn's in it. Yeah, I, I, it's an all-star cast. It's an amazing movie. Good writing, super tight. Like, it never drags. It's the character development is spectacular especially because you follow four independent stories that come together and then completely diverge and develop on their own and then come back together and the writing on it is just brilliantly done to be able to do that that'll be fun to go back and watch watch something and pay attention there's it's hard to find good movies these days so yeah i think that that might change though i think because of COVID and if movie theaters close down, they won't be able to spend these huge budgets on movies anymore. True. Because they can't make the money back on streaming services, so they're going to have to make better movies with tighter scripts. And yeah. I, I, 
Yeah. Well, wow, that is totally off subject. Sorry. <laughs> so my, I guess my next thing would be kind of my big loaded question. I guess we just spent some time on some things I could change. I was trying to figure out like what would a good, what would a day look like if you were doing everything in its optimal range, you were, you know, doing your hit in the morning, maybe you're still, you're lifting in that two to five window. You got your post-workout shakes. Maybe you have, it seems like we don't want more than 12 hours fasting at night, but maybe we want um, long during the day, or maybe we want lots of our food in the evening. That's kind of three questions in one, but what would, what would that day look like? Uh, there is no one answer. Okay. Uh, I the so longer periods without food aren't necessarily bad, but they can be depending on your goal. They could completely go against your goal. If you know, if you're like Dr. Jason Fung and you're taking people who are really sick and you're having them spend a day or longer without food then you actually just shut down all the repair processes that could have made them healthier in that period of not eating any carbohydrates. And if you're an athlete or you have athletic goals, you're not doing yourself any favors going extended periods without food. So, you know, it depends. It depends on how you structured the meals on each end of the fast. And by okay. fast, I mean fast could mean anything. It could be the three-hour fast between meals for some people. It could be the 12-hour fast between meals. And what is going to happen during that fasting period is completely dependent on your workout and the meals on the ends of that that fasting period. And maybe even the meal prior to the last meal before the fast. Okay. I mean, so it's it's not a simple answer at all. The best answer is don't have any period longer than 10 to 12 hours without food unless you just have to. And the just have to is also a caveat because you might just have to because you don't like eating in the middle of the day. Hmm. which is a, a totally acceptable have to because the goal is to have something that's sustainable that's moving you to your goals so if you hate it it's not very sustainable yeah you're not going to do it I, i'm trying to think of basically i'm trying to decide what what other things can i play with to get toward my goal if it's you know meal timing or workout timing um uh, let me let me look at your so your is the schedule on here your current schedule um actually i don't think I, it is yeah um right now i'm doing monday mornings a, a hit swim a fasted hit swim and then monday afternoon is an hour lift of glute accessories then Tuesday is a midday lift and a massage later. And then Wednesday is a... Because I, the massage is strenuous exercise. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> she, 
she yeah she does it's ashiyasu so she does stand on me quite a bit but yeah <laughs> just uh schedule wise but wednesday so usually tuesday night is my car back load and then wednesday is usually a longer lift two to two and a half hours that's glutes and legs um thursday uh, midday lift and then friday is a morning swim hit and then an afternoon lift and then the chiropractor and then cbl because you hit legs again the next day yep and then saturday uh longer lift two to two and a half hours and then sundays an hour and a half on upper uh well it's basically it's what you have here you yeah, just didn't put, put the times formation yeah Oh, yeah, maybe this is, maybe I do have it on here. Yeah, it says uh, second page training for the last five years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's what you just read off to me. And the only difference from, yeah, from the normal is my swims are usually with a team and they're at lunch. And now I'm, I've just been doing them fasted in the morning, too, as I'm, you know, before my get back to that normal schedule. Sorry for for the silence. I'm still here. I'm just thinking about some of those morning hits sessions. You could right now just be totally on point for the right amount of work and the right amount of carb overage. Okay. To hit all these things almost ideally. Because if you weren't I would expect you to be really depleted after those morning hits. But it sounds like you're not. I mean, you definitely have the, when, when I feel, when I'm back, when I'm in swim shape, you'll get through the first, first couple, you'll feel pretty good. And then the third one, you're like, holy crud, I have three left. But, <laughs> well, but does it wipe you out for the rest of the day? Um, I would say a few hours. It wipes me out for a few hours. There's quite a bit of recovery after, but that's what I've not been doing any, basically I come home and have the coffee and the cream. I haven't had any food and I wasn't doing a post-workout. Yeah, I, you're pretty close. The, the tweak, the only tweak I would make right now is possibly to add some carbs Sunday night. Okay. Um, probably, I mean, uh, let's see for your size, not, a, not a lot, maybe 20. Well, it depends on when you have them. If you're going to have them immediately after your workout, like 20 to 30 grams, if you're going to have them later on, you could have up to 40. Okay. Maybe 50. Uh, that's the change I would make Sunday. And then I would also add some carbs at the end of Thursday. Again, a small amount. Okay. If I were going to make tweaks, those are the really the only tweaks I would make. And then I, I would adjust your, well, you might have to adjust your protein if you're having those carbs with a protein load in the evenings uh you'd have to up your protein a little bit and then i would lower the fat a little bit on the next day okay. so if you're having carbs thursday night a little bit of carbs thursday night 
then you're going to want to lower the fat Friday. So if you added 40 grams of carbs, cut out like five to 10 grams of fat for Friday. Okay. The, those are the little kind of tweaks I would make if, if we were really dialing this in and I'm treating you like a competitive athlete that needs to be as far as humanly possible towards perfection on some date. Awesome. That's perfect. So on those days that I added, if I added carbs on, on Sunday night and Thursday, would my fat be reduced like it would be on a carb on a carb backload day? Like would I only have 60 fat that day or would I be back kind of in that? No, I would, I would cut the fat off of the next day. Okay. If you're adding to the carb Sunday night, I'm very like very clear on night. Yes. Not evening, night. So, you know, closer to bedtime than not. Okay. Okay, good. Yeah. And then Monday is where you would take off the extra fat. Okay, perfect. And then the same thing, you add them Thursday, Friday is where you would take off the extra fat. Okay. And then that was normally a car backload day. So would it just be, would that still be okay? And then I would, but I would just have... Like maybe that would be a 55, 50 to 55 grams of fat that day. Uh, which day? On Friday. Oh, so well, what are, what are you getting now? Friday is normally a carb backload day, so I'm just doing 60 grams of fat for that whole day. Would that oh, you're, sorry, you're talking about the fat. Yeah, so your fat would be 50 grams on Friday. Okay, good. Perfect. Sorry, I got mixed up with which macro we were talking about. I know. <laughs> that is awesome. Can I, uh, speaking of a performance day, can I can I switch to a performance meat nutrition, kind of tell you what I'm doing? I'm not sure this, I don't think this got sent to you. I've just, um, kind of what I eat when I am going on a swim meet and just see if if I'm doing that performance day correctly. So this is on the day? Yeah, like so like nationals is a four day meet, um, worlds is a seven day meet. And so I usually switch my car backloads from like the two or three a week before big weights to four a week. And there are 150 cars, a little bit more carbs um, and before swims. And then my there's a couple questions like I've done it six weeks out. I've done it four weeks out. Is there in this, you may not be able to answer this, but is there an optimal time to switch from when I'm going for my carb sport aesthetic, say I have a competition, I have a, like my next competition is the end of April. Do you have an idea of when I would switch um, that timing to do the four carb backloads before swims? Um, I mean, if I'm understanding this correctly, your increasing carbs in the weeks leading up to the competition is that correct yes and moving them to nights before swims rather than nights before big lifts so there's one one part of this i won't be able to say because I, I would have to work with you through a cycle to get the answer. But 
what you would normally do, even for sprint competition like that, is, and the reason I can't answer is I don't know the exact timing of your body, but you would actually going up to that. So for probably, I mean, I would be guessing you would keep everything normal until the week or week and a half before the competition. Oh, okay. That's awesome. And then at that point, you would actually be stripping out all the carbs you can while probably cutting your training load in half during that period and training no carbs at all for a week and a half. So basically during my taper, I would not be doing carbs the week and a half before a meet. Correct. And the hard part is you you have an extended period where you're going to have to have carbs periodically before each well uh, is are you swimming every day yeah a, so i'll do okay yeah essentially do carb backloads each night of competition and then normal meal in the morning like a fat and protein breakfast like eggs and mct or usually i'll do coffee protein powder and mct and then start start glycogen right after warm-up yeah so, so that type of competition that you're preparing for you'd have to figure out the timing on when to have your first huge um carb carb load before training and i can't tell you when that would be and it's important because in that week and a half that you trained without carbohydrates when you go to recomp your glycogen stores, you're going to store about two times as much as normal. Okay. So the amount of extra endurance that gives you, even, you know, in sprinting scenarios or whatever, is stupidly ridiculous. That's awesome. But the the problem is if you time it incorrectly, you're not going to access it properly. So if it's too – if you do it too close – to when the competition's coming up then you're actually you're you hurt your performance yeah and if you miss it and do it too early then you can't get as much advantage out of eating your carbs during that those four days or that week so that's what i can't that's the part i can't answer i would have i would have to work with you or know the information through at least one cycle to know and it, it doesn't even have to be a competition cycle you could just plan and say okay i'm gonna try to figure out my my timing on that you know january 20th to the 31st i'm gonna figure it out and then during the competitions you know it's kind of you can again th- this is actually something else i can't answer there, there's two options what you're doing is you're having your carbs at night which is fine you're trying to refill your glycogen for the next day but you can also drink something like there used to be this drink it was called ultra fuel it came pre-mixed it was just like crystalline fructose oh and you could drink that periodically through each day and what it what it does is it refills your glyc your liver glycogen almost immediately so whenever you're in a situation of depleting glycogen or whatever, there's always excess glycogen in the tank to release glucose to keep everything humming. 
Okay. Um, and that works really well if there's going to be some sort of sprinting event. That that's that's your kind of ideal supplement during that time with carbs. Okay. Yeah, I was pretty much doing like dextrose candies, doing Skittles or um, like coconut water and Skittles like throughout the day. Yeah, a, a, a crystal and fructose powder is by far the best thing you the want. Best. Nice. Yeah. Because you're loading up on your your glycogen stores in the evenings when you're having the big meals. That's a good way to do it. But you still need excess gas in the tank during the day without overfilling it or causing an insulin spike. That's one thing you definitely don't want to do because once you spike insulin during the day, you've lost access to fatty acid metabolism. Oh, wow. And so you want to stay in that sweet spot where when you're sprinting, you're accessing glycogen. And when you're in between or if this, if for the longer sprints especially, you're able to tap into fatty acid metabolism. Like it's unavoidable. You have to be able to do that. So if you're having regular carbs, you're shutting off that avenue of fuel. Okay. And that's why the, the crystalline fructose is like so perfect in that scenario because fructose doesn't it actually lowers insulin levels it does not spike insulin levels even though earlier i said there's almost nothing you can eat that won't spike insulin levels well pure fructose is it mm. that's cool so say i was going to try that like okay i'm going <laughs> to january 20th to the 31st so i would um so basically i would stay on my schedule and then Essentially, I kind of tape, I taper my swims, taper everything down three weeks, three weeks out, and it gets, the intensity stays high, the duration goes down as it get closer and closer. So I would, ultimately, I'm looking at doing that until a week and a half before, and then I really, I remove my, I remove carbs completely until maybe like the night before competition. That would be my first guess. Okay. I mean, but it, it could be, let's say competition was Saturday, so it could be Friday night is your sweet spot. It could turn out that it's Thursday night is your sweet spot. Okay. Um, in rare instances, in very particular populations, even Wednesday could be the sweet spot. Um, you're, you're probably, you're not in that population. Okay. So it's going to be Thursday or Friday. Okay. And so, but the problem is if you miss it, so let's say you, you try it out, you do this cycle, you're trying to figure out, you do it Friday, and it turns out Saturday you feel like hell. Yeah. Okay. Well, so obviously that's wrong. That doesn't mean that Thursday is correct. And that's that's the bummer because of course, yeah, where I'm at, living in South Dakota, we are not the swimming mecca of the world. So yeah, I would imagine not. Yeah, it gives me an opportunity to run a swim clinic business, which is awesome, and I'm really incredibly grateful. But I'm constantly traveling for competition, and I'm carrying my food with me, and I'm yeah, the timing, I, and I'm not doing as many. You know, I'm doing bigger competitions. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It's been a hard thing. It's just been 
I love car backloading and the performance aspect and it's helped me so much just to have some ideas how I should eat to perform. But yeah, trying to find that timing. Yeah, that's, is pretty crucial. Yeah. So, you know, you missed it on the first cycle. Now you've got to start all over and experiment again to try to find it. You can't just go into the next meet and say, oh, well, I'll do it on Thursday and everything will be fine. Yeah, exactly. Because, <laughs> you know, it might not be fine. So if I try it, then I would maybe do like a week of back to normal and then do then go a week and a half, no carbs and try. Uh, you're going to want one more like two or three weeks. Okay. That makes sense. Does it? Or are you just saying that? No, I mean, I would, I would think <laughs> if I right away, I'd be, I mean, I would just be really depleted again. It would be hard to, to judge. I think you would feel trashed. Well, the problem is it, it's context again. You're starting in a totally different context than you started before. before. And there will be different metabolic processes that are in play. And so you nailed the time. So you went back to normal for a week, tried it again the week after that, and then you nailed it. It's like that's that's not the context you're starting from, though, Absolutely. when you go into the next meet. Yeah, in order to give it a real give it a real try. Yeah, I I. I feel like I just make it impossible to figure any of this stuff out because <laughs> like, I'm always like, Oh no, that's not, Oh yeah, no, no, that's not. And every call is different. And I'm like, man, I must sound all over the place. <laughs> no, it just, it, it helps us all realize how complex, you know, every scenario is. And I mean, I completely understand that as I'm trying to help athletes get their last one hundredth of a second so they can make Olympic trials or, you know, you're helping someone who is extremely obese and has all these health problems and you're trying to help them eat in a way that they can enjoy and get them healthy and train in a healthy way and get them toward their goal. Yeah, it's not not easy. So hence all the explanations make it body, body AI. <laughs> well, yeah, that's a, so, you know, I had to come up with all of those equations. I had to find all the rate equations for everything. So I'm. Yeah intimately familiar with what those curves look like and also how they morph depending on a bunch of different variables so in my head i can just kind of imagine what those curves would look like i kind of know where the peaks are going to be and then i can tell each person well you know for you this is what you would want to look at doing and so it gives me a huge advantage talking about it but i realize there's there's no real explanation i can give and I don't like being that opaque in my explanations. That, that's well, why I go way overboard trying to explain because I realize there is a huge black box that nobody's nobody has access to. Um, so I don't want to make it – so I try to explain everything as much as I possibly can. And I think that's – I don't know. I always think that, you know, wisdom – having some wisdom or what, what is it? Knowledge is power. I always think it's the application and the wisdom and having the choice, you know, having enough information to be able to make choices for yourself to to get to where you want to be or to head you in the right direction. That's, I mean, powerful. And yeah, I, the scale of what you're trying to do of helping the masses 
any trainer or coach always goes, you know, you only have so many hours in the day. It can only help so many people. So. Yeah. It, I, you know, I'm hoping to scale each taking each coach and all of a sudden, instead of being able to help four or five or maybe even 10 people in a day, they can go to helping 400 people in a day with no extra work. Just awesome. I mean, that's, yeah, it's such incredible. And you can, I mean, you're changing our lives. So just imagine, you know, anyone taking, you can change people's lives who are sedentary as well as world-class athletes. That's, that's just not out there. Those are very different. Yeah. And they're both. So, well, that's, that's the really striking thing. Cause you know, I've worked with both. So I know, and I've worked with people who've gone from one to the other. I've worked with people who are really obese and did an amazing job of getting to a certain point of athleticism. And then I helped them get to the next level from there. And I've also helped the opposite, like people who were professional athletes who became sedentary and sick over time. So the crazy thing to me is you have people who specialize in different kinds of sports and they would never talk about it would just they would never consider talking about health aspects for somebody who's fat and sick and then you have doctors <laughs> who supposedly are experts for fat and sick people they would never say anything about sports people and expect to be taken seriously but there is absolutely no way that you could B, give the best advice to an athlete if you can't also give the best advice to the obese sick person who needs a lot of a lot of help. It's just not possible. It's all one body. It's all one framework. So, you know, I, and I realized that had to be the case a long time ago. I just didn't – I couldn't do it. And now and it, I can. Yeah. So. I mean, when I think when I first started training and coaching, maybe you're trying to help those high level people reach the next level that they don't know how to reach. But then, you know, as you're doing it for a while, like it's so it's so awesome to get an overweight person um, off their meds. You know, if you can get them off their high blood pressure or their cholesterol or the things that they're the things that they are changing, that you're trying to help them get their life back. I mean, wow, those are I mean, that's where I find joy is both in both scenarios helping someone at a high level or really just i guess you're you're meeting people where they are and helping them get to where they want to be and your work is that's what i love about it, is like you're working yourself out of a job you've empowered me to use car backloading to get an aesthetic that i desire you've empowered me to use car backloading to be a high performance swimmer and the knowledge you've given me helps me to help others even some diabetics i've had the opportunity to work with, you know, the nutrition aspects. I mean, sometimes even what the doctor's saying is not like we can play with things and they can have some small sweet potato and some different things and enjoy how they eat, which makes them more compliant. And then they get healthier. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, It's, and it is all identically across the entire spectrum of human physiological experience it is all exactly the same things you're targeting whether the person's going for a gold medal or they're just trying to get off of their medication that's that's the amazing thing about it very cool and that's what that's what really that's what health health is about you know health is yeah 
helping people from where taking them where they are to where they want to be. Yeah, just fascinating and awesome. Yeah. And, you know, there was a long time ago when I thought to be the best in a sport, to be a top level performing athlete, you did have to sacrifice health. But at that time, I didn't completely understand what health was and Mm -hmm. the way most professional athletes are trained. They are sacrificing health when, in fact, they don't have to and they would perform better for longer. So they would have longer careers where they could make their $35 million a year paycheck. Yeah. And feel better. Yeah. You know? Yeah. When it's over, they're not, you know, instantly sick. Oh, I need some water. Ugh. I will definitely be editing that out with a beep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I just, I don't know. So I'll, I'll throw one one at you that are just from just from what we were talking about. Um, you mentioned in one of the other alpha spotlights that talking about NFL trainers and doing high knees and trying to promote explosiveness. And they were actually taking explosiveness away from their athletes. I used to do plyometrics like box jumps and things up until a meet. And then I've kind of replaced that with shockwave. What? Do box jumps and those kind of things, does that actually take away explosiveness from an athlete? Well, so specifically, I was talking about reaction time. Okay. So when they're doing those rope things and the high knees, they're they're speed drills. They're working on the athlete's ability to react and make a quick movement. And that and the way they train for that actually increases response time so they it makes them slower in being able to respond to novel situations so that's very different yeah okay i want to make sure i make sure i'm not doing anything and then the way that i have my i kind of gave an example of the shock wave that i was doing the elect reps with the i really didn't to be honest i i think i did shock wave for two years before i went back and read again and saw the partial set ramping and mm-hmm. then boy, that really changed. That changed awesome, changed how, you know, the intensity in which you can lift. And um, I used to do a lot of heart rate training and try to base my rest on, you know, as my heart rate comes back down. And that's just been fun with Shockwave to do the elect reps and the partial set. Just, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to figure out how your structure works. I was wondering if you were going to come around and ask the Shockwave thing, because I was looking at that and I don't completely understand what your format implies as far as real world uh what what it looks like in the real world when you do it okay so you're so you're doing you're doing each of the elect reps at those weights and you're ramping up and then you get to after several of those you get to five regular reps Mm -hmm. and then you're going to four and you're doing all of that with as little rest between those as possible so I'm doing as little rest as possible between the elect reps. And then it's essentially when I start slowing down, it feels like it's not a fast, like it's not an elect rep anymore. Then I'll switch to doing um, regular, a regular set, a slow and controlled regular set, and probably have more rest between those and to get to failure. Oh, okay. So those, when you, when you don't have the label of elect on there, those are then regular sets. Yeah. Slow and Got controlled. It. And yeah. So 
should it look differently? No, I I think okay. that's fine. Uh, you're slow and controlled. What do you mean by slow and controlled? Do you mean the entire movement or? Yeah, kind of like a, I mean, a one or two seconds down, a one second at the bottom and one or two seconds back up like a squat. Squat would be. Yeah. So squats are a little tricky because of all the components that need to be functioning properly to do the exercise correctly um, for to train the muscle and the nervous system at the same time. Okay. So normally when you're doing a set and really it almost doesn't matter what your end goal is, the set should be really somewhat fast down so in the relaxing portion of it okay and then oh as little rest as possible and at the turnaround the turnaround should be super super fast okay into an explosive upward unless there's some distinct reason you're doing a really slow and controlled movement there there's no reason to do a really slow and controlled movement so really, you're doing elect reps, and you don't need to do regular, I guess, or it's maybe a, my... I mean, so a, a regular rep should be done, it it should look, quote unquote, like a slow motion elect rep. Okay. I mean, you're coming down pretty quickly, Not you know, it doesn't have to be super fast, and the turnaround should always be as short as possible, and... That might mean lowering weight a little bit. Yeah. It might not. Might not. Yeah, my turnaround's probably not very fast. Yeah, because a lot of all of your performance gains, whether it's hypertrophy or nervous system uh, activation, the majority of that's happening at the turnaround. If you skip the turnaround or you lengthen the time you sit in the turnaround mm -hmm. you're decreasing the effectiveness of that set okay that makes a lot of sense so there should almost be a constant constant motion now again this is for you if i were discussing things with say a power lifter or somebody working through some some potential muscular deficiency yeah. Then, then that's different. There is a reason to pause in the bottom of the movement and then try to explode into the concentric part. Okay. But you, but you're not doing anything that requires that type of specialization. Yeah. No, I agree. Awesome. Well, I've I've killed a lot of your time here, and I know I gave you a lot of background information is there is there anything else that strikes out at you that you're like hey you really need to change this or i would add this or no the the way you're trying to break up creatine and things like that is totally fine uh nicotine you know i i my trepidation there is that continuous use and in a lot of highly motivated people, they can slip into scenarios where they start chewing a lot of nicotine gum. And I, I've seen it happen several times. 
my trepidation there is nicotine is powerful mTOR stimulator, and it's especially powerful within vascular tissue. So it can contribute to hardening of the arteries. Now, oh. that, being, that being said, as an athlete, there's a very different remodeling process that's going on in your vascular network. Okay. So my trepidation is there's not enough information for me to know if when people go off the rails like that, how much damage it might be doing. It, it gotcha. could be doing none if they're staying with their athletic activity. Okay. But it could be doing some, and I just don't know. So that that's my caveat there. I would I base my recommendations on trying to keep people safe while giving them all the benefits that they can reap in a certain window of time. So really, the the recommendation of a one if you're cycling a one month off and a two, or I'm sorry one month on and two weeks off would still probably be what you would recommend. Yeah, and you can do that long term, especially if you use the dosages that are in the book. Like if if you're chewing, uh, I talked to somebody who is chewing, or who who is chewing. I'm trying to think. What was it? Wow! Like, oh my gosh, that can't be right. I think it is, yeah, <laughs> like um, thirty four milligram pieces a day. Oh wow! <laughs> Wow. And they had been doing it for a very long period of time. And that could that could be serious problems. Okay. Um, yep. Fine. I think there was just a little experimentation at the beginning, like, oh, I don't really feel a tingling. And then I was like, okay, got to pay more attention and making sure you're not swallowing. And, like, being – I guess it's not even being intentional, but paying attention – chewing intentionally or doing it properly intentionally that you know change that he's like oh i don't feel anything maybe maybe two is not enough or yeah no just stick with it you you don't necessarily have to have to feel anything okay and then caffeine it kind of sounds like this is just based on the other oh album. yeah like it sounds like maybe i'm really actually doing way too much is i that... would yeah caffeine can slow down it'll slow down your performance goals and it's very important for you it's not minutia in this case like it's okay it's important so is it like maybe we want to stick to just like 200 in the morning or is there a number that an a range that sounds appropriate? 200 in the morning is probably good you can i mean even let me think this through so this is like caffeine, caffeine, right? We're not, not talking about like ch chocolate or tea right. or anything like this. This, this is from this the is drinks. Coffee, coffee and and a, and potentially a bang energy drink. Sometimes a half or none. I can I can completely get rid of it too if it's not a good idea. Well, I, I, ideally, I I would get rid of it. Okay, perfect. It's easy. Yeah, that's uh, that's the highest benefit trade-off is to just get rid of it. Okay, and so then just have the coffee and the cream in the morning, 
And then really, yeah. I'm not a caffeine person after that. Yeah, that'd be fine. Awesome. Yeah, I meant to mention that. I forgot about it. So glad well, you brought it up. I sent you a lot of questions. That I figured we wouldn't get through. So I was just trying to look through and just get those big highlight ones. And I think, yeah, you've done a great job of answering all the things that you can answer and gave me a great, um, some things to work on and play with for the future. And I really appreciate it. Yeah, I didn't understand uh, your question 15. Is there such a thing as a rebound effect? Yeah, it was kind of a, I was listening to one of the old podcasts that Alex had done and she was talking about working with some bodybuilder clients and that after they had done a show that they were, she called it the rebound effect that they were, they would gain fat even if they were eating correctly and working out and they weren't able to, to get back, I guess, get back their normal aesthetic not even just their lean aesthetic and i yeah i just i'm not i don't get myself in one of those situations if that exists uh well you won't so that's so the clients she's talking about are are people who had worked with other coaches okay got so they got starved out their body was really messed up and all the way through their dieting process they were making themselves more sick sick yeah, metabolically, and then after they do two or three shows, they're so sick, they can't, there's almost nothing they can do to maintain their body weight when they go off season. Which is just horrible. You know, you're hiring a coach and you're trying to do technically a very high performance thing and not an easy thing, very hard on your body already. And to, wow, yeah, that's... Yeah, well, they basically just strip all the fat out of your diet, give you so much protein, and then starve you out and keep having you do more and more and more and more exercise with less and less food. And they go through and, – and the food they do get is carbs. So they're just doing massive mitochondrial damage through that. And, you know, after a couple cycles, their cells are just so sick. They're, they get – that's the first symptom of severe metabolic damage is adding excess body fat. And so that's where they end up. It's crazy. And I think if without your work, you know, I, one of the other alphas had mentioned she had grown up in that non-fat, you know, no fat generation. And I was, you know, a college athlete in that, in that scenario and really living off of garbage carbs and i guess i was fortunate that i was working out so much but yeah i imagine the metabolic damage that i did to myself and my i'm sure my hormones are took a spill during that time i'm sure that them being off now is part of that damage that was done during yeah, the all years. yeah all kinds of crazy stuff happens when you throw carbs in the system yeah all right one last one do is a is the cottage cheese a good idea for someone like me? I was trying to replace some of my, I've been really successful on basically meat and veggies, but the cottage cheese, as you mentioned to some people, I tried it out and I was like, oh, this kind of makes this, some add some nice texture and some, some moisture. Is that a? Uh, you said you had some methylation. Yeah, when I did, I did my blood work. They said I had a methylation issue which I kind of related to some. So high or low? Um, Were well, you under or over? Sorry. Yeah, under methylated. Well, I mean, they wouldn't have even had to do a test for that. I know, right? <laughs> it's like, I mean, they could have 
<laughs> talk to you for five seconds I, and be like, oh, yeah, yeah you're undermethylated. <laughs> uh, I uh, undermethylated need, I think you might need X. Oh, I can't even remember. There's so many different combinations. I think you need more calcium. Is that right? Yeah, that was what I was asking about. I wasn't sure. I, I know I don't have a lot of calcium in my diet. I pretty much eat, you know, we have nice thing about South Dakota. We have a lot of game meat. I have a lot of, a lot of my clients and swimmers that get me deer and antelope and I have buffalo and things to eat. So I have grass fed meat and a lot of game. So I pretty much eat meat, the occasional veggie and some good fat. Uh, you can, you take a multivitamin, I assume. Yeah, I usually do the animal pack and then I have a, I have what I call lunch drugs, which is just kind of other things like an N-Lite D, which has some, some methylated vi vitamins in it. Um, magnesium. Wait, Matt, what's the, so, so you're under methylated actually what you, I'm, I'm curious what you're taking because you what you need to be taking is like more magnesium and zinc primarily. Okay. I have, yeah, that's like magnesium glycinate. Um, I yeah. take that and at bed. And then I have one of the products is called Enlight D and it has a methylated magnesium, methylated, um, uh, methylated B, B vitamins like your book Cabal. Yeah. And then extra. Yeah. Um, what was the last? I guess that has zinc in it and vitamin D. Yeah, I mean, that, that covers it pretty much. So, the cottage, so, you, so cottage cheese is okay, or should I just put I, it in periodically or not? You, you can just put it in whenever you feel like it if you want. Um. I, I would only be concerned. Uh, actually, I wouldn't be in your situation. Every, everything should be fine. Okay. I mean, if you start blowing up, though, don't hold that. Everything should be fine against me. That's not a. Yeah, it's, and I kind of have been hesitant with dairy in the past and because I'm not sure how my body responds, it, you know, it's hard to, sometimes it's hard to assess like, oh, I feel like I'm, I'm adding some fat and I don't want to head down that road. Um, so if, I've stuck to things that are pretty plain, you know, I pretty much eat similarly almost all the time. Yeah, you should be fine. There was, the more bitter the cottage cheese well, I don't know if bitter is the right word, or I guess it was bitter. The more bitter it is, the better I found that it digested. Okay. So on the far end of bitterness is uh, one called Nancy's cottage cheese. Okay. If you can find that. If you find that and just try it once, you will absolutely know what I mean by bitter. Okay. <laughs> Uh, it, it's an acquired taste, but once I I had it once and I ate it just because I bought it, and it was just I wasn't I didn't enjoy it that much, but my, but it digested way better for me. Okay. And then I got used to the taste, and then I couldn't eat regular cottage cheese anymore. <laughs> I had to get that. Yeah. 
And then I moved to Serbia where they don't have cottage cheese anywhere. Anywhere. You cannot purchase it in Serbia. <laughs> Hence your your sausage. Are you pretty much having sausage every day, you said? Yeah, basically eggs and sausage. Eggs and sausage. Yeah, every once in a while I go buy some peppers and cut those up in it. But it's pretty... Uh, well, and sometimes I order stuff from... I mean, Serbian food is is amazing oh is it oh yeah well and they have other great restaurants here like there's a lebanese restaurant here that i mean they're you get this huge plate of meat enough for like three people which means it's plenty for me <laughs> and it's you know like well 15 like 15 bucks total oh that's and awesome. that's with it delivered to your house so oh wow yeah we were we were in dc we were stationed out in D.C. and really liked the Lebanese restaurant that was near our apartment. Really cool. Oh, if you ever get to Boston, in Back Bay, there is a shawarma restaurant. Mm. And it is the most amazing shawarma I've ever had. When I was, I was in Back Bay for, I think, like six weeks, I think I ate there every day. <laughs> It was amazing, and it was so cheap. Like, I just could not get enough of it. That's awesome. It's fun when you find find something you enjoy, especially if you're in different places at different times. It's really nice. Yeah, it's been – I have restaurants marked all over Europe and some in North Africa now. Just great places. That will be your next book after, you know, you've solved the health problems of the world then. Well, after I can leave the country and, and hopefully yeah. I can come back. Walk again and, oh, man. Uh, yeah, the, I'm, I'm not even counting on being able to walk again without a brace. Man, I'm sorry. It's crazy. It's crazy. Eh, you know, prepare for the worst. And then if it's better than that, that's all gravy. Enjoy the best. Yeah. No. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate your time. Oh, and keep on, keep on, keep it on. Thanks. I appreciate the support and all the kind words. Uh, they're highly appreciated. And I'm so glad I've been able to be an influence in your life all this time, even before I ever talked to you. And I, I hope that this kind of pushed you to that next level that you're, it sounds like you're looking to move towards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I really, really appreciate it. And the people I've met because of you, you know, I got to spend some time with Jim Laird. I got to spend some time with Brett Contreras. You gave me a great, the coach I had, Tony Sangamino. So, yeah, you've enriched my life in more ways than I than I can say. Really, really appreciate it. Oh, that's great. I I was about to ask you a question. I just forgot. Oh, okay. it does not matter. Whoa, okay. what's going on over there? Oops, sorry, that was a pen pen oh. pen call. <laughs> All right. Well, if that's everything, um, I guess that's a goodbye. Awesome. Hey, have a great day. Thank you again. Yeah, you too. And of course, my pleasure. All right. All right. Bye.